Kia ora, e tihoa, me te Welcome, friends and family, to the Candid Kiwi Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa, and I am the Candid Kiwi. Kia ora and welcome to episode 40. In this episode, I get to introduce you to Topher Maxwell. Topher is a loving father of four children, two girls and two boys, and also an amazing husband to his beautiful wife, Natalie Maxwell. Topher started off thinking he wanted to be a dentist back in high school and work construction with his grandfather and uncle, but he soon realized that he didn't know if dentistry was for him, even though he loved medical stuff, and so he started literally leafing through the university's book and trying to figure out what it is that he wanted to do. So he sits down and talks to us about what that looked like and how he finally came to realize that firefighting was his number one thing that he wanted to do and how he started pursuing that dream. And so he started off as a firefighter, and I didn't know this, but he tells us about how there's firefighters, engineers, captains, and then now he's a battalion chief and a couple more beyond that. It's so wonderful to be able to sit and listen to Topher's story and have him go through the ups and downs of everything and how he came to be and what he thought about it. And he taught me a ton of stuff that I didn't know. And when we hang out, just as families, he just has tons of really cool stories, and that's why I knew I wanted him on the Canon Kiwi to tell us his story. So sit back, relax, and let Topher walk you through what it's like to be a firefighter. Thanks, guys. Welcome to the Canon Kiwi podcast, Topher. Thanks Thank so much you. for being here and doing this. Happy to be here. This yeah. is exciting. Yeah, it is exciting. Let's start off with a little summary to get people warmed up, so to speak, about who you are and where you come from. So back in junior high, you spent your summers working for your uncle and grandpa in construction, doing it all. You learned and grew there with them and did that right through high school and loved it, correct? Mm -hmm. Tell me a tiny bit about that. My grandparents, my uncles, where I started the construction trade was about, I don't know, 400 miles away from home. Mm. And my parents were probably tired of me as this rambunctious teenager. So they were like, let's ship him out for the summer. Mm. He can go live with his grandparents and, and learn how to work and learn a trade. And and Such a good know, idea. Yeah. I'm infinitely grateful. Mm-hmm. And I'm already trying to figure out how to ship some of my kids out Yeah, so that they can learn how to I'm shipping Masari out to Austin, Texas. It'll be good for him. There you go. It's awesome. It's <laughs> yeah. perfect. Yeah. they got to learn how to live, right? Yeah. He'll learn. He'll learn. Yeah. In high school, you figured you wanted to be a dentist because you loved medical things and you wanted to be rich. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So Who doesn't want to be rich? I totally want to be rich. Yeah. There was a guy in the neighborhood that he was a dentist. I mean, I was younger, but I'm pretty sure he was my dentist. He always had the coolest stuff. He had boats, nice house, mission style, you know, just mm-hmm. cool stuff. And I was like, man, if that guy, if he can do it, I can do it, you mm-hmm. know. And I don't know. It... For whatever reason, I just thought it'd be cool, and and so I kind of grabbed onto that idea, mm-hmm. and ran with it, and never let it go. And yeah. So kind of going through all through high school, I was like, well, if I'm going to be a dentist, I better start taking some classes that are geared towards that. And I really enjoyed most of the the biology and pre med. I mean, as much as you can get into in high school, mm. really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah. That's awesome. So you worked on that, you're on track, and then you spent your summer after you graduated high school back with your uncle and your grandpa. Yep. And this is where you learned to love framing, and you were fast and good at it. 
but grandpa decided him and grandma were going to go on a mission yeah, for their town. church. And so you didn't have a place to stay anymore. So yep. you ended up finding a framing job in Utah with some mates and started making good money. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So when I was working with my uncles, they did a little bit of everything. So I got kind of a taste of everything. And How then, awesome is that to be a jack of all trades? Oh, it's awesome. Awesome until you decide, oh, yeah, I've seen it a couple times. I can do it myself. And then you jump in with both feet and quickly realize that you know almost nothing. <laughs> And then, then you really rely on the people around you Yeah. that know stuff. Yeah. I find myself in that situation on a regular basis. But yeah. at the same time, sometimes I'm the guy that knows stuff. And, people and can, can help. Yeah, and I can help others, and, and that's pretty fun. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah, kind of getting a little bit of taste of a taste of everything, some concrete work, some excavation work. All super useful. awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it gave me a really good taste of of what real hard work was all about. And I loved it. Absolutely yeah. loved it. But yeah, grandma and grandpa, they, they were moving on to bigger, brighter pastures. And so I didn't have a place to live. I was asking my, my uncles if I could stay and live with them, but they had young kids and it just wasn't going to work tough. out. So I moved back home with my parents and some of my friends, they were working as framers, strictly framing and, and talking to them. They said, hey, jump in and you can get a job with us. And so I did that and absolutely loved it. It was a lot of track homes where it's the same home over and over. Perfect. But what better way to learn kind yeah. of the basics and get everything locked down and solid. Yeah. And that's really kind of what happened. And, and so. You got real good at it. Did that for a long time and moved on to custom homes where I could start to use my brain a little bit more. Perfect. And I'll tell you what, there's, there were a lot of different puzzles that I had to figure out with custom homes. You know, we finish the day and I think I have no idea how this is supposed to go together tomorrow. <laughs> and somehow in my sleep, I'd work it out, wake up the next morning and be that's like, so okay, true. yeah, that's, that's how we're going to do it. And then we go tackle yeah. it. And, and sometimes it worked out yeah. more often than not. It did. That's so funny you say that because that happens with me, not with framing, but with knitting. Does that sound so crazy? Oh, yeah, so I'll no. be stuck on a pattern with my knitting and I'll be like, oh, I just don't even know how I'm going to do that. I go to sleep and the pattern magically appears in my head and I wake up being able to like move forward with that pattern. Is that right. so crazy? It's awesome. Yeah. I love it. That's why we need to sleep. <laughs> That's right. That's yeah, why without we, our phones. we need to work on the eight hours a day. And, yeah. Yeah. So we can create other things. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's pretty awesome to be able to figure that out. Yeah. Well, and then you started school at Utah Valley and worked at the same time yep. doing framing, but you quickly realized that your dreams of being a dentist started like, kind of like crashing down. Oh, and yeah. And school probably wasn't for you, and you started looking at, at other things. Well, not school wasn't so, for you, but like this med path like yeah. into dentistry yeah. maybe wasn't for you. So walk us through how you navigated through classes and what ultimately led you to fire. So I hadn't given up on school, but looking at it, I thought, okay, I learned later on if if I need to be if I'm going to be a dentist, I need to go through, get my degree, and then go into dental school. And like all of a sudden, I'm looking at seven or eight years of school. Yeah. And high school was fairly easy for me, just because that was my job, right? And you go to school, and you, I mean, sometimes do your homework. Yeah. <laughs> On a good day, you do your homework. High school's but pretty easy, do. doing yeah. a little homework. You can pass pretty yep. pretty easy. And then I got into the real world, and I loved working. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm a worker bee. Making good money, Making framing. really good money as an 18-year-old kid framing yes. houses. Really good money. Yeah. And and so I was still trying to frame full-time because I didn't want to give up the money. And I was going to school. And I started looking at the dentistry path. And I was like, you know what? There's It's way more than I think I want to do. I didn't love school that much, especially college. It just wasn't ringing my bell. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, okay. Let's let go of the dentistry idea and look at some of the other things that interest me. And at the time with construction, I thought maybe I'll do be an architect. And so I started looking at architect path and there was way more math than I wanted to, <laughs> to do to be an architect. Yeah, That's one of my, my dad's strong suits. Definitely not one of my strong suits. Mm. And so I quickly let go of that. And, and really this is just going through the course catalog and looking at what jumped off the page at me. Mm, I love that. And, and just feeling things out and just trying to find where I belonged in the world mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, 18-year-old kid. Big and decisions. Yeah, huge, you know. But you don't know when you're in it, when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, you feel some of the pressure. You're just feeling things out and you still... That is so true. Like a lot of decisions we need to make at that young age, like marriage and kids sometimes, I think, because it's like you have this full faith that it's going to work out and what could go wrong, you know? Whereas now uh, as a 46-year-old, I'm like, I would never have a child. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like I don't want any more kids, Uh you know? And so I think you just have to be 18 and I think you just have to like – be bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and be like, yeah, I don't want to be a dentist anymore. I mean, was that yeah. hard for you to let go of? Or were you no. like, nah, see? Whereas like a decision like if you, if I was 40 and I was like, okay, I've done I'm this. I'm starting I all need, over. Yeah, and I, yeah. Need, I need to just keep doing dentistry even if I hate it. But at 18, you're like, no, nah, I'm going to start looking through a catalog and figuring yeah. out like. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's exactly awesome. what it was, right? Yeah. And I, you know, tried some drafting classes, different yeah. things involved in, in yeah, the construction yeah. trade. But, you know, I still kind of hung on to the idea that I wanted to make a lot of money. Yeah. You know, because having stuff is always cool. Was Everybody drafting good money? It could have been uh-huh. it, with the right path. Mm-hmm. But you hated um, the teacher, right? Yeah, I hated the teacher. I didn't like my, my professor in that drafting class. He was nitpicky on stuff that I didn't understand the importance of it. Right. And I think my ego just got in the way. Mm. But I let go of that idea. I was like, okay, drafting's not it. Mm-hmm. And then I, I thought about staying in construction and yeah. just, you know, becoming a contractor and running my own business and what all was entailed in that. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, like, I hadn't really made up my mind on anything specifically of what I wanted to do. I was still fishing through the course catalog trying to find something that grabbed me. Mm-hmm. And, and this is back in the day where you had a paper, a physical paper catalog of the courses available at the college. And I'm just flipping pages mm-hmm. as I'm going through. And all of a sudden, like literally I started at the front of the book and I'm just leafing through the pages to see what classes looked fun. Mm. Thankfully, at UVU, they had a fire science degree at the time. I mean, they were working on the degree. It was a certificate at the time. Now it's a full-fledged emergency services management degree. And it's a a really pretty good-sized program and they built it out over the years. But at the time I was leafing through the catalog and I saw this fire science headline And I thought, well, I love fire. Mm. Fire's the coolest thing ever. And Mm. I love science. I'm good at science. So let's give it a shot and see what this is all about. Mm. 
And I really had no idea that that was the path to become a firefighter. Mm-hmm. I just thought that fire science sounded cool. So I signed up for a class and jumped in. And it was a lot of that entry-level emergency services, how to handle emergencies. So still medical stuff. Medical involved. we're interested in. Yep. And with that experience, you know, experience of that class, I was like, this is it. And, and all of a sudden, it's like a light shone down from heaven on mm-hmm. this this classroom. And it was like, this is what you're supposed to do. That's awesome. And, and it was cool. It was yeah. super cool. And and once I started on that path, like nothing was going to stop me. Mm-hmm. Right. It was just like that. That was what I was supposed to do. Gosh, like. I knew that I wanted what I wanted to do, and that's awesome that you eventually found what you wanted to do and in such a wonderful way. Yeah, I just stumbled into it. I love it. Right. So meanwhile, you have a girlfriend and figured she was the one. That didn't work out. You were heartbroken and a little depressed. Yep. But you had applied for the Fire Academy. And so tell us about this phase where you picked yourself up after heartbreak and made some more goals moving forward. To say I thought I was in love. I, I was in love as much as an, an 18 year old could be. be. Yeah. So um, in love. So in love. Enamored. And I yeah. mean, but at the same time, looking back, it wasn't the smoothest relationship for whatever reason. I don't know if she kicked me to the curb or if I kicked her to the curb. But Who can even remember? E- either way, I think it worked out better for both of us that, oh, that we sure. parted ways, right? Mm-hmm. But I was super depressed at the time. I was living with one of my friends in, in a little basement apartment. Mm. And, and I was down in the dumps and I probably like, I'd get up, I'd go to work, I'd come home and get some food and I just like hang out in my room and and that's just not who I am. I'm Mm. pretty social, social guy. Mm -hmm. And one day, I mean, it had been a while and he came in and he's like, what are you doing with yourself? What a good friend. Yeah. Super good friend. And, and I was like, I'm, I'm busy pouting, you know, basically it was my answer. And he's like, this isn't healthy. You got to get up off the couch and make something of yourself. This isn't you. And, and, you know, I kind of mulled that over for a day or two. And I was like, you know what? He's right. That, that was a chapter it's closed. Now it's time for me to move on. Mm. And, and so I, I kind of just dusted my boots off and, and jumped back into work and school and said, okay, now it's time to keep chasing my future Mm. and close that chapter. And, and in hindsight, yeah, it was really hard, but like I said, I think it was better for both of us, you know, to, to move on. Yeah. At this time, yeah, I was like, okay, keep building houses, keep making money, living high on the hog. I was, I was rich, you know. Was, yeah. And at this time, I, I'd been framing for a few, a couple of years, and I got to the point where I was leading a framing crew. So I was managing four, five, six guys on a daily basis, running a house, mm. and as the crew, crew boss, my, my boss would give me some bonuses if we finished a house ahead of time on the framing schedule. Awesome. And so I was making good money. Plus I was getting bonuses and man, I was, I don't have a thing to show for it. I spent every (laughs) single bit of it. What'd you spend it on? What are some Uh, things you spend it on? uh, My car, I had a Jeep at the time Mm. and I've since been indoctrinated into the world of Toyota. I know you have, Um, but you know, you're allowed to like Jeeps. Yeah. We've been down yeah. to Moab, like I've talked, me and Drew talked about on his podcast with Jeeps. We love the Wranglers and 
we hang out with them and stuff yep. and you like American cars and that's okay and we I still just, like you. Yeah, I plead ignorance. Yeah. I didn't know better at the time. I don't know, know just... anything about cars. I just married <laughs> Drew and now Toyota is king. Yeah, that's all I life. know. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So I'm not, not one to talk. But yeah. yeah. I love well, it. So yeah, spent a lot of money on cars. I went out to eat a lot. Yeah, of course. Because that's what you do as an yeah. 18, 19 year old kid. Yeah. Yeah, I was jumping into school and and was like, okay, next step is to get my EMT. Right. Because, you know, that introduction to the fire science thing was like, hey, this is how you become a firefighter. And I was like, well, if this is what firefighters do, I'm in. I yeah. want to do this. And so they said, next step is to get your EMT. And now, tell us, that, like, for people back in New Zealand, what's EMT mean? So EMT is, it stands for Emergency Medical Technician. Perfect. And so an EMT is basically somebody who runs around on the ambulance and you call 911 if you need an ambulance an EMT is going to show up at, at your house right and there's different levels maybe they call it that back home and i just don't know so I don't i'm know. sure my family's going to tell me that well now so they that'll be good yeah, yeah. Now, if they I don't know what know, we call it i'm going to find out and yeah. i'll let you know i'll need to know so that when i go Paramedic. to new zealand and if i need I know. Somebody. you need to go to new zealand and you will and in Utah and throughout the states, there are three different levels of EMT, and paramedic oh. is the highest level. Okay. And so, you know, paramedic EMT, oftentimes it's pretty interchangeable. Is that what you did then when you became an EMT? You did paramedic? So, I mean, it's the kind of the same job, but when I got th that first certification, it was just an entry-level certification. Okay. Uh, so it goes from basic to advanced to paramedic. And each You're a one paramedic those, now, right? No, I'm advanced EMT. Oh. And it, just with each step, there's more responsibility, more medications that you're in control of and, and yeah. things like that. So you're like in it. You know what you want to do. You're like going to be a fireman, not with this girl anymore. And yep. so all of a sudden you start thinking, you know what? I think I might serve a mission for my church. Yep. Because you weren't thinking about that because you wanted to marry her and stuff. And you're like, no, I don't want to be away from her. But now, yeah. all of a sudden, you're like, I think I'm going to do this and started saving. So tell us about, like, that transition into, like, thinking, okay, I want to be a fireman and do the fire academy. But I think I might, because wasn't the fire academy, like, a little bit you applied, but then it usually took a while to get in. So tell yeah. us about that. Yeah, so I got my EMT, and as soon as I got that EMT, then they would put me on the list to jump into the fire academy. And the academy itself, it teaches you how to be a firefighter. It, it, it gets you certifications, and with the certifications and the knowledge and your, your EMT, then you become hireable, and you can get a job with, with a, a professional fire department. Great. So I'm... Yeah, like I'm at a transition point in my life where I'm still a, a kid, right? I think I'm an adult, but I'm still yeah. a kid. Right now I'm I'm 45 and looking back and, and yeah, I was just a kid. But that's the time where you're really making a lot of big decisions in your life. And, and so I remember sitting and just pondering and wondering what I should do. And, and now, yeah, like I didn't have a relationship anymore. I was kind of in line with what I thought I should be doing with school, but I still was trying to figure out what I should do to make me the best me. Mm. And and religion's always been a big part of my life. I think uh, just like anybody, I've had ups and downs with you know religious experiences. Ins but and outs. Ins and outs, <laughs> you know. But but nonetheless, it's always kind of been a part 
of, of me. And in, in my church, missionary work is, is kind of a big deal. And, mm. and we like to send the missionaries out to, to preach the good word. Young and full of like awe and like we were talking about when you're 18, you're just like bright-eyed and bushy-tailed yeah. and ready to go out there and just tell yeah. the world about Jesus. That's right. It's a great age to do it. Exactly. Because if I was to serve a mission <laughs> now, I'd be like, bro, I just would, it'd just be so funny. I would, I'm oh, too old. Oh, it'd be a whole different story. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> I could bike still. Yeah. But. yeah, and so, you know, thinking about it, I was thinking, you know, contemplating a lot of my own life decisions. And I thought, I've always kind of wanted to serve a mission. And at this point, there was nothing holding me back. No yeah. reason not to. Yeah. And so it was kind of interesting because I I talk about my Jeep. I loved my Jeep. You have no idea. Oh, I have some idea. So to give you an idea, when I moved out into that apartment with my friends, the neighbors knew that I had moved out. They went to my parents and they said, so... We noticed Topher's moved out, and my mom said, how, how did you know that? They said, well, usually he's washing the Jeep in the driveway three or four times a week, and we haven't seen him out yeah. there washing it for a few weeks, so yeah. something's changed. And so anyway, I, my parents, they, they figured that I was I, I totally like brushed off the idea of serving a mission, even mm-hmm. though I think they you know always would have supported it no matter what. Yeah. Um, but one day... I got home from work and I had a bunch of for sale signs on the kitchen counter. And my mom was like, what is this? I'm like, I'm selling a Jeep. Mm. She's like, why are you selling your Jeep? Because she knew I, I loved that car. Yeah. And I said, well, so I can go on a mission. And she's like, what? <laughs> Total jaw drop, hit the floor. And she's wow. like, so slow down for a second. Let's talk. What What's going on here? What are you, what are you thinking? I was like, well... I'm I, I'm going to go on a mission, and I need money to pay for the mission, so I'm going to sell the Jeep, and that'll pay for the mission, and I'm going to do this and this and this, and I'm going to get it all squared away. And She's like, Perfect. all right, so let me process a little bit, you know. She's, I, I mean, just an awesome mom, and, and was like, okay, let's just take this step by step and think rationally and help me work through some of that stuff. And, and honestly, like, I was super lucky because my parents basically bought the Jeep from me to so that I'd have a, a vehicle when I got home. And so to me, that was, I don't know, maybe a little bit of a reward for the sacrifice that I was willing to make. But, yeah. Um, anyway, they, they helped me work through all of that stuff. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I, was, I was decided I was going on a mission. That was the deal. Yeah. And then didn't think that you were going to get into the Fire Academy. And then you got called, your mission call to... To Bolivia. To Santa Bolivia. Santa Cruz, Bolivia. Yeah. Santa so Cruz, Bolivia. I was on the waiting list to get into the fire academy for what seems like almost a year. And it was a good long wait list, and I was excited to get in and, and a little bit impatient. And maybe that's why all of a sudden I decided I was going on a mission because I was kind of in a holding pattern with pattern with the fire academy. And so I turned in my, my papers to find out where I was going to go on my mission and I received my mission call and acceptance to the fire academy oh. all in the same, if I remember right, the same week. Oh, wow. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, shoot, yeah, mm-hmm. fire academy, I don't even know what to do with this. And so, yeah. so I wasn't going to deviate from the mission plan. To me, that was something totally worthwhile and something that I wanted to do. And so I reached out to the school and I said, look, I've had kind of a change of plans, and now this is what I'm going to do. 
is there any way to pend this acceptance or what do I need to do here? And, and they were fantastic to work with me. And they said, look, you do you, go on your mission, whatever you're going to do. But when you're ready, then let us know before the semester starts. And we'll keep your, your place there at the front of the line and we'll dump awesome. you in, which was absolute and a miracle. Like to me, that was one of those like answers to Listen. prayer, you know? Yeah. yeah. So tell us some of the highlights from your mission. Oh, it was awesome. Bolivia is extremely third world okay. country. And, okay. and I, I think it's really struggled to develop because there's no oceanfront property. Mm. And so shipping and trade has really been difficult for, for that country. But for me, it was, it was just an adventure every single day. And it just fit in perfectly with who I am and my lifestyle. I don't get too bound up with, with the minutiae. I just take each day for what it is and, and have fun. So I went to Bolivia. It's a Spanish-speaking country right in the heart of South America. And, you know, I, I spent maybe two months trying to learn Spanish in an organized uh, training center. And I got in country and quickly realized that I had no idea anything about Spanish. And I had a headache for probably six months mm. just trying to separate words mm. in a sentence so that I could recognize a word so I could look it up. It was just like kind of painstaking and, and hard, but it kind of gave it that much more value when it finally started to click and make sense. But it, it was absolutely perfect. It was hot and humid kind of a tributary to the Amazon, and so mm. a lot of jungle. Part it, of my is mission. it beautiful? It's gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. Have you the, been back? No, I want to. I kind of have plans, but every time I make plans to go back, something happens, and mm -hmm. I get kind of held up. But, mm -hmm. So I'm not going to tell anybody that I have plans to go back. I love back. it. Yeah, but, but yeah, I totally I want to go with you. But the people are amazing. The people just have the biggest hearts. And, and honestly, I swear the fact that they don't have as much makes them happier mm. in a lot of aspects. And I mean, I think that's, you've always got people that are looking for bigger, better and the beyond, but they're just a genuine, like big hearted people mm. that are very just caring and loving no matter what. And so I, I just, yeah, love the Bolivian people, learned some of the language and love the language. The country itself's gorgeous. Like I said, there are parts of, of Bolivia that I, I lived in that was in the middle of the jungle on, you know, one day a week we have to kind of wash our clothes or get ready, write letters, mail stuff, run errands. And on those days, a lot of times we go off on these little jungle excursions and try not to get lost, but just super cool stuff like chasing howler monkeys through the canopy and random like banana and plantain trees all over the place butterflies everywhere some amazing like the butterflies thousands of butterflies mm. in the middle of the jungle was cool mm. luckily we didn't get eaten by any jaguars or did you get sick from at all from no. the food or uh -uh. any kind of no i've always been kind of a slender fellow mm -hmm. especially building houses i mm -hmm. burn every calorie that i put in and then when i'm when i'm in mission I started getting fat and, and put on some good weight, mm -hmm. and yeah, I didn't get sick. It was, it was awesome. That sounds amazing. When you and Natalie go, maybe you can tell me and Drew, and we can make it. We can do yeah, a trip. That'd be, be awesome. amazing Let's if you would let us. Heck yeah. 
So you came back from your mission, had an amazing time speaking Spanish, and you've used it. You use it down at the Baja races that you go with, with Drew and yeah. Ryan and stuff, and you use it probably framing a little bit. I know Mexican Spanish is a little different from yeah. Bolivian Spanish, but yeah. you you're at least do better than what I could. Yeah. You know, if, you can understand it probably. If they speak, like Mexican and Bolivian Spanish are drastically different. But <laughs> if Mexicans speak to me like I'm a four-year-old, then I do pretty well. Okay. So I speak four-year-old Mexican. I like yeah. it. Well, at least you know another language. That's yeah. awesome. But you come home and you jump straight back into framing and into the fire academy. So most of us know nothing about the fire academy. So tell us about coming back and jumping back into that. At this point, you know, in my life, it was like, okay, it's time to grow up and establish a career. I knew this is what I wanted to do. And so, like, I wasn't messing around anymore. And I, yeah, I loved framing, but at this time, that was just a job to get me through so that I could accomplish ultimately what I wanted to do, and that was to be a professional firefighter. Mm -hmm. And so building houses, taking time off to to go to school and go to the academy. And the fire academy is, is, it's kind of, it's really tough because it's paramilitary, but at the same time, we're students. And so we're paying to be there. And so the instructors, they want to, you know, hand out punishment and make us do, like when we screw up, have us do a bunch of push-ups or, Mm. you know, something like that. But it's kind of a fine line where it's like, you know, these guys are students still. And so you can't, corporal punishment is probably not the best way to put it. but Kind of. Yeah, kind of. But, you know, you need to make mistakes memorable, right? And I loved loved everything about that paramilitary organization. And I was like, hand it to me. I'm ready to go. If I screw up, I want to remember it. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where I, I dropped this giant nozzle called a ground monitor. And, and the thing probably weighed 50 pounds. And they were like, you can't drop tools like that. And they're like, you're going to need to carry this tool with you for the rest of the week. And so, like, everywhere I went, if I went to the bathroom, if I went to the classroom, if I went out to the drill ground, no matter what, I carried this monitor with me. Cool. And that was kind of my, hey, this is what we're going to do to make you remember this mistake. And I, you know, I learned. Mm. I learned from that, and I regret zero about it. Um, Mm -hmm. It was really hard. But ultimately, the the academy is there to teach anyone how to be a firefighter. And so Mm -hmm. they introduce you to ladders and how to carry ladders and how to hoist ladders and how to lift ladders safely. They introduce you to the, the myriad of different fire tools from sledgehammers to axes to the different kinds of axes, uh, tools called halligans and pike poles and all the different things. They teach you what they are and how to use them. They teach you fluid dynamics because the best way to put out fire is with water. Mm -hmm. And so you learn everything about water. You learn how much pound water weighs, right? And all this kind of comes together when you're on the fire ground to realize that if you dump a thousand gallons of water into a house, then you're increasing all of the the weight in that structure because of all the water you're adding to it. And inherently it makes it less stable because it's not designed to carry all the extra weight. And so, yeah, just little things like that, that they're teaching you how to pull the hoses off of the fire engines. They're teaching you how the pumps work on the fire engines. 
and at the same time, they're teaching you structure of a crew. And so we, as, as students, they'd divide us up into crews of four or five, and we would act just like a crew of firefighters on a fire engine. And they had fire engines that we'd drive around on, on the training ground, and we'd pull hoses off and Was that so awesome? Out. It was awesome. You just love it so much? Yes. How long was the fire academy? How long did it So it was for? a full semester. So what is that, four months or so? Mm-hmm. And in that, I learned all about fire ground, you know, tools and what to do and how things work. Just everything. Learned a little bit of how to drive a fire engine, how to make the pump work. Did you have to work on people, carry people, stuff like that? No, it was all focused on on firefighting and not okay. medical skills. So okay. And you had though, already done your EMT, right? Yeah. Yep. And, and so even though now as a professional firefighter, those worlds are super intertwined. Yeah. When you're going through the instruction portion, you keep them, we keep them separated. How come? So that you can kind of focus on oh. the, the specifics of each one okay. and not get lost in the middle of it because they're, they're very different. Yeah. But we do both of them. Yeah. Which I had no idea. Which but is we'll awesome. get into that. Yeah. We'll get into that. So meanwhile, you're dating. Yeah. And you're having fun. Girls are awesome. Yeah, and you meet the one. Now girl is awesome. Yeah. But at the time, girls yeah. were awesome. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So introduce us to how you met Natalie. So, yeah. My your wife. now wife. My wife, Natalie. She's, so I kind of knew her through mutual friends when she was in high school and I was in high school, but we lived, I don't know, 15 miles apart, so... I'd see her around, but at the time, she was two years younger. And when you're 17, 18 years old, two years is huge. Massive. But then all of a sudden, at this point, I was 23 in the fire academy, and she was 21, and two years was nothing, nothing, right? Just the stars aligned, and we both ended up at a dance, like some February, I don't know, probably a Valentine's-type dance at UVU who knows what what it was it was an excuse to get together and hang out and just kind of let go of the stresses of school and I saw her and I remember her her gorgeous brunette hair and she was wearing this red shirt blue jeans and I was like oh yeah who's this angel you know and I followed her around the dance floor just kind of like a little creepy stalker for about 15 minutes trying to figure out how I knew her because she looked super familiar. I totally recognized her, but I couldn't quite place it. And then I finally saw her walk over with her friends. And and when I saw all of them together, it clicked. I was like, ah, oh, that's how I know her. And that was enough for me to to just break the ice. There was no more ice. And, and I walked up and I was like, hey, I don't know if you, you remember me, but, you know, I'm, I'm Topher. And, and I remember you from this and just kind of. Started off a little small talk, and and I followed her around all night like a little lost puppy. Cute. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, I was I was smitten. She was super cute, and I thought, yeah, I need to chase this girl a little bit. So I found out where she worked, and I thought, okay, I'll I'll drop into her work and and Was see that? if she's there. And and thankfully, she didn't lie to me and tell me that she worked at some other place. So mm-hmm. uh, a couple of days later, after the dance, I dropped in to her work and and we just chatted and chatted and and just kind of hit it off and I stole her phone number and called her a while later and just kept asking her out on dates and kind of forced myself into her life yeah and she accepted yeah eventually 
Eventually, yeah. And, <laughs> and I, she says she has, she has no regrets. So yeah. hopefully that's the truth. She hasn't told me she regrets it. All right, so perfect. Yeah. I have zero regrets. Yeah. So yeah. She's pretty awesome. Love her. Love her. So you knew she was there and she fit you so well and she supported your firefighter dreams. You said to me something that was really awesome. You said you and her kind of came from the same, I don't know if upbringing, but the same kind of ideals. And that really fit really well with you because you told her, listen, I'm not going to be, like, super rich. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be, yeah. like, a firefighter. Uh-huh. Are you cool with that? Because if you're not, you better get out now. After you had lured her in. Yeah. Well, it was that point <laughs> in, in a relationship where it's, like, it's getting serious. And yeah. it's that turning point where it's, yeah. like, if, I gotta if tell we you, keep man, going... Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna want to marry we're you. We're not gonna want. We're not gonna be rich. How yep. do you feel about that? Yep. And so I wanted to get it out so that if she had to break my heart, it wouldn't be too bad, you know. But yeah. I told her I was like, look, I, I've tried to chase the money. When I was in school, I looked at all these different careers that made all kinds of money, and none of them fit me, and none yeah. of them made me happy. And I yeah. said I found this, and between construction and firefighting, at no point on either one of those am I. There are people who make good money doing construction. I'm not going to be that guy. And so I said, look, tell me now if I need to cut and run. But if you're okay just, you know, getting by and being happy, then we'll be good. And she's like, I'm totally good. Yeah. So, yeah, same kind of socioeconomic background. She, you know, it it just worked really well for us. Yeah. And since then, yeah, she's, I'm always kind of chasing money to pay for ballet shoes or soccer shoes seriously taekwondo something or other you know and she's like hey my kids need a dad more than we need money we'll figure this out and she's kept me really grounded bro that's why she's the one that's what i'm saying that's why she's the one she's She's the one for me too yep i love her yeah she's great yeah but she moved to boston yeah so you were by yourself it was again It was kind of happenstance <laughs> that we... Were you, like, totally scared she was going to meet someone else like your other girlfriend? Oh, Or did you feel way time. different with her? So, I mean, yeah, no, I was totally scared. She had all these friends that kept taking <laughs> her out and, like, going to dance clubs and all this stuff. Uh, and I was like, you're ruining this for me. I'm busy trying to keep my hooks in this girl. And, mm-hmm. like, she she could have picked any guy she wanted, you know. And, and so I was, yeah, I was scared, but... She, it was kind of miraculous that everything lined up and I even met her because she had been a nanny for two years in Connecticut mm. and had this huge network of friends on the East Coast. I, I ended up kind of lining up into her life right in the middle of, of an in-between, right? Mm. And so she was headed out to Boston to go work in a hotel and she took off and went to Boston. Like I was madly in love with her and I went nuts. I didn't know what to do with myself because we were still talking on the phone. It's not like we broke up, but like I couldn't spend any time with her. She was, she was Mm -hmm. gone. So I'm buying TVs. I bought like a bed, like all this random stuff, trying to adult Mm -hmm. and just like trying to fill the void that she left with stuff and Mm -hmm. it wasn't working. And so I just went stir crazy and I, I called a couple of friends to try to get a way out. And I was like, hey, I had two options. One friend in Chicago and I called him because that seemed most likely I knew his dad was a contractor. And I was like, well, I can go to Chicago and I can build houses. And so I called him and, and I just graduated from, from the fire academy. So right. I didn't really have anything 
tying lined me up down. Yet. Yeah. And so I called Winston. And I was like, hey, what's the chance that I could move out to Chicago and get a job and kind of like just mooch off of you guys? And he was like, there's zero chance, bro. He's like, it's just not good and it just wouldn't be easy. He's like, but I hear there's a bunch of guys getting together in Texas. You should give them a call. So I called them and they were like, come on down. We're having a good time. We go wakeboarding. We clean windows. We hang out. We earn some money. And and I was like, okay. So I went to Texas. And when I was in Texas, I ended up talking to Natalie for hours every single night. I'm sure like my buddies and roommates were like wondering what was going on with me. And like, but it it was what it was. I was just enamored with the girl. and, And, and so finally I was like, you know what? And and she thankfully was having a miserable time in Boston. And so when I was in Texas, I said, I'm coming out to Boston and I want to see where you're working and I want to see everything about it. And I miss you and I want to see you. So I flew out there and spent, I don't know, it seems like a week in Boston with her and drove up to Maine. But basically I tell people that I flew out there to tell her that she loved me <laughs> and that she needed to come back home. Mm-hmm. And and like I said, thankfully she was miserable out there. And, and so I don't know if that's why she believed me or what, but kind of worked because she ended up coming home. Not immediately. Mm-hmm. Like it still took a few months for her to kind of get things in order. But that was good because I kind of had, I was getting some other irons in the fire. Okay. When, when that was going down. So I flew out and then I flew back to Texas and when I flew back to Texas, I immediately just threw all my stuff in my Jeep and drove to Tucson, Arizona mm. to live with my buddy Lee mm-hmm. out there. And I still kind of be in the vagabond a little bit. But while I was in Arizona, I got a phone call from the director of the fire academy. And he said, hey, we're putting together a pilot program for an internship. And your name came up as somebody who might do well in an internship and we're wondering if you're interested and I said like yeah yeah what is it but yes like I was interested in everything it was fire and you wanted to be a fireman so let's do this yeah and so it gave me some some real world like fire department experience which I was super excited about so I bailed on my buddy Lee after maybe two weeks and drove back to Utah Mm mm-hmm and jumped into the internship program and ended up doing, uh, seems like it was about a 15-week internship with Ogden City Fire, which Ogden's awesome. It's a cool town, and they run a ton of calls. The department's super cool. A lot of, like, there's a bond between those guys that I haven't seen in, in, in any other department. And, wow. and firefighters are all tight, but Ogden fi- firefighters are super tight and just a good, good bunch of, of guys and they took me under their wing and I had no idea what I was doing mm. but they kind of showed me the ropes and great and, and were super good to me yeah and then you started to become after that you worked for a couple of years kind of being a sub firefighter like on-call firefighter tell us a little bit about like what that looked like yeah so to become a professional firefighter in in the U.S at that time was super competitive. You'd have 3,000, 3,500 people show up to test for maybe 10 positions mm. in a department. Mm. And I remember showing up at these huge convention centers for a, a firefighter test, which is basically the hiring process. 
and I'd show up and I'd look around and think there's no way how am I ever going to get a job but you know it's a game of perseverance and I was like okay I'm just going to keep testing with every department that I see that has an opening and sometimes somewhere I'm going to get my shot and I one of the departments that I tested was with was Bountiful City where I live now and I tested with them and in the interview they were like hey we want to offer you a part-time job but in order to work here you've got to live here and I was like okay mm-hmm. I'll take it and I'll move and and so I ended up moving to Bountiful and and that part-time job basically gave me one 24-hour shift a month, sometimes two if I was lucky. Not much. Not much. And it was just enough to kind of, you know, rouse my appetite, you know, and, and kind of, yeah, be a part of it. It was a foot in the door. Yeah. And I started learning some things, and, and that was good. And I did that for three years. And I was still building houses and kind of left that to build furniture for a while. But, yeah, three years I was... I was a, a firefighter, and, and it was that first couple, like, year and a half to two years that I was catching one or two shifts mm-hmm. a, a month was all. And then Bountiful City merged with a neighboring department to create one bigger department that we now cover five cities. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, that opened up the opportunity to work a lot more. So and more so, like one to two a week. Or, or three or as many as I was willing to work. Which made you shift your construction job into furniture, yeah. building furniture, because it was more flexible, right? Yeah, exactly. Dipped out of framing because it didn't lend itself well to part-time work. You said you were smashed. You would go to the fire yeah. 24-hour thing, and then you'd have to wake up and go to framing. And yeah. Yeah, I mean, we carry a pager being a part-time firefighter, and, and if the pager went off, no matter what time it was, middle of the night pager goes off, you're getting up, throwing your pants off on, and you're going down to the station, and you're going. Yeah. And, yeah. and, yeah, it could be 2 o'clock in the morning, and then you get back home at 4, and then your adrenaline's still going, and so you kind of wind down, oh, man. fall asleep at 5, and then Lucky get up you were young. at 5.30 to Even being to young, you up. couldn't do it. Yeah. You know, so your other job was more flexible. Yep. But then you had an opportunity to become a full-time firefighter. Tell us how, you, how that happened after those two or three years. Yeah, so just like testing to, to get a full-time job, even as a part-timer, I had to go through that testing process for my own department to get mm. a full-time job. And so I was testing not as much anymore mm. around, but a little bit. And ultimately, I, I ended up getting offered a job as a full-time firefighter at South Davis Metro Fire, which was the organization that we created out of those two departments. Right. And so I started as a, an entry-level firefighter, and I remember just feeling like I had, the, you know, life by the horns. I could do anything and everything. I was having a great time. Finally, I was making steady, good money. I had the schedule that I wanted, which right. was like 24 on, 24 off mm. kind of thing. and. That's what you did, like twenty four on, twenty four off. Yeah, you'd do that to where That's you work brutal. three. Well, you'd work three shifts, and then you have a like a four day streak where it was off. Oh, okay. And it, it wasn't bad. It was hard, but but it was awesome. Like to have a full day off to do whatever you wanted was super cool. By the time this three years came up, were you married to Natalie? Yes. Okay, and yeah. so she had moved to Bountiful with you. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So. Let's see. I she and I got married. 
Oh, it was probably a year after I got hired part-time. Oh, cool. So. So in your three-year interim, about a year into it? Yep. Cool. And then, and then yeah, I, I got hired full-time. And right about the same time as I got hired full-time, we had our first first baby. Oh, my goodness. And I thought, hey, you know, I've got a full-time job and a brand-new baby. The best thing we should do is buy a house. Yeah, So, of course. you know, because I... You got money now. Yeah, I'm Full-time rich. job. I'm rich. You're rich, yep. just like a dentist. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that's what the fire department pays. Exactly. Just the same as dentistry. And at the time, like, I'm kind of a hoarder of things that I think are cool. And I saved a bunch of my pay stubs. Hmm. And I have no idea where it is now. When, when If it, I ever find it again, because I'm sure I didn't throw it away. Mm-hmm. But I found my first pay stub from my full-time job. Mm-hmm. And... I look back and I'm like, I'm not sure how I could afford food, much less a mortgage. But, you know, young ignorance, you just jump into it. You're like, oh, yeah, we can totally make this work. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter. And the bank will loan me money, so I'm going to take it. Yeah. And so that's that's what I did. So, yeah, like in this one probably three-month window, well, six-month window, I basically like jump-started my whole life. Seriously, that's crazy. Now, tell me some fun things that happened in that three years of being a firefighter. Yeah, so as just this wide-eyed, brand-new firefighter jumping in, I had no idea, and I was just a sponge looking to absorb all the information that I could. That's how you should be. And I got partnered up with another firefighter, and we would roll on the ambulance quite a bit. And yeah, because firefighting, anything you guys get called, pretty yeah, much. Yep. Anything you guys show up. Right. Like, it's not just fires. Right. And I didn't know that. I thought you just got called specifically for fires. No. So car accidents will go anytime, you know, whether it's a fire, it could be like a car accident. It could be somebody that slipped and fell and can't get up like a little yeah. old lady or something it just yeah. needs help why is that you because we can do it we love it mm. we're i don't know we're the best helpers in the world i get paid to help people that's yeah it's amazing i didn't know that yeah so that that's us and and i think it's because we're there and available all the time mm. and so when people need help it's either firefighters or police mm. And so if there's a crime going on, then they call the, the police. And if there's not a crime and somebody just needs help, or if there's a fire or medical treatment. That's you guys. It's the fire department. Yeah. It's awesome. So what are some... So, uh, yeah. So I, I get put with my my partner as a brand new guy. And I remember one of the very first things he taught me is, so you get there in the morning and you've got to check your truck and make sure that it's ready to go. So you go through all the fluids and make sure that the truck itself is ready to to drive. And then you go through the back of the box on the ambulance to make sure that everything that you need, big Band-Aids, little Band-Aids, cold packs, hot packs, whatever it is, that it's ready to go, that Mm -hmm. batteries are good, and, and no matter what the emergency is, you'll be prepared for it. Okay. And he taught me that one of the the most important things to do is to have good music lined up for when you're going to the call. And so, yeah, so we had 
this is back in the day of CDs. Uh-huh, yeah. And Lights and Sirens is called 1039. It's a 10-code, a okay. and police operate on a lot of 10-codes. And firefighters don't do a lot of 10-codes, but we do 1039, which means you're going Lights and Sirens. Okay. And so we had this CD made up. And on the outside of the CD, it said 1039 music. And I love it. Tune that up in the That's awesome. in the thing and then, you know, get the song right where you wanted it. And then we'd shut the radio off so that when when we got the call that we go 1039, you kick on the 1039 music and you roll that. out of the station. And I need a copy of that call. CD. Yeah, it was fun. You know, and, and looking back, now I'm just an old man and, and I'm, I've moved into a boss position, but... As an entry-level firefighter, it was just carefree, fun. Mm. You ran some stupid calls that you were like, why am I here? I, I kid you not, we had a guy that he called us because he wanted us, to, he, he, he couldn't get out of bed, he wasn't super mobile, and he wanted us to make him some uh, breakfast sandwiches <laughs> in the microwave. <laughs> oh, no. And so, I mean, that's the level oh, of call no. you're going on, and you're like, what am I doing? This is wow. what I went to school for, oh, and this man. is what I dreamed of. But, you know, now I look back, and I'm like, you know what? That's Whatever. Those are the ones that make the memories yeah. good. Whatever, right? Um, I remember, you know, running fires, and back in the day we had this old American LaFrance, the, the front two seats where the the captain, who's the boss, and the engineer, who's the driver, they sat in an enclosed cab with doors and windows. But the firefighters sat behind them, facing backwards, in this open, open air, open cab jump seat, basically. Mm-hmm. And I remember riding back from a fire, and I was so, like, so hot and sweaty on the fire and then we jump on the back of that rig, and it's probably December, January, and the roads are wet, and it's snowy, and this just nasty mist is coming up all over me, and my hands are freezing, and I just remember, like, sneaking my hands over onto the engine cover and trying to keep my hands warm oh, as man. this, like, mist, m- misty spray was oh, was coating me. But, like I said, it was it was kind of miserable at the time, but those are the, the fun memories that you're like, yeah. Yeah. I got to ride in an open cab engine yeah. and do the job, and, yeah. and it was awesome. And then you tested and decided, you know what, I'm going to shoot for being an engineer, and that's the next step up. And yeah. so tell us about that process of becoming an engineer. So that was the next step up, and like I said, at this point I was trying to play adult, and so I had a mortgage and a baby and a wife, and she was a stay-at-home mom, and she worked up until she gave birth, and then all of a sudden we had a brand-new baby plus some cut income. Mm -hmm. And so I was scrambling and and looking at it. For me, it was mostly a financial decision to try to promote to an engineer because that promotion comes with some responsibility, but also comes with a bigger paycheck. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I I qualified because I had my part-time firefighting experience. And so I had enough years that I could test for engineer. I had all my certifications and and I had been working on driving and thought I had it figured out. And so I I tested and by some miracle, I tested number one. Now they had two positions open, so I could have tested one or two and still got got it. But either way, I was going for broke and wanted number one and, and, and got it. 
Great. And so after only about three months of being a full-time firefighter, I promoted to an engineer position. Now, what's the difference between firefighter and engineer? You told us that they get to ride in the front. Yep. What else? So engineer is responsible for driving the fire engine. We, oh. we love to call all fire trucks apparatus. Mm-hmm. That's definitely, that's a fire term. Okay. And so I was responsible for all the apparatus in the station, whether it was a reserve or frontline rig and making sure it was ready to go. It's kind of the same thing, checking all the fluids, uh, making sure mechanically it was good. But also there's a huge increase in responsibility because now instead of being on the end of a hose line spraying water, I was in charge of making sure those guys maintained water inside that burning structure Okay. At all times. Uh, you can imagine if somebody's in there and I'm not doing my job well and they run out of water in inside of a burning house, that's going to cause some big problems. Right. And so, it, you know, there's a level of responsibility that comes with that. But at the same time, you're still not the boss boss. So there's plenty of room for screwing around and having fun and, yeah. and just enjoying your job. Now, you were an engineer for a decade. Yeah. So... That's a long time. So what are some of your favorite memories from being an engineer for a decade? It's interesting watching the progression of the department. And at that time, a lot of times we would just kind of take anybody to fill a seat. And so for that captain's position, we would take an entry-level firefighter and put him in that captain's seat because he could do that job, even though now in hindsight... It was probably totally inappropriate, but we were doing it. And one of my favorite calls is we were sitting at the station, and I had a firefighter, entry-level firefighter, that he was at the station with me. And he was supposed to be in that captain's seat. And the captain runs the radio. And so ultimately, if you get a, a structure fire, house fire, business fire, whatever it is, whoever's in that captain's seat has to give a first arrival report of what's going on, what's on fire. And if there's no fire, it's pretty easy. You show up and you say, hey, this is firefighter Maxwell, and we have a two-story home, and there's nothing showing. There's no flame, no smoke. Just kind of lay it out. But when there is a fire, then there's a whole lot more work involved. Well, we're sitting at the station, and the phone rings, and I pick it up, and it's one of our off-duty captains, and he says, hey, I'm in front of the lumber store, and the roof is on fire. We've got a live, active fire on the roof. Oh, man. And I was like, okay, we're on our way. And so I hang up the phone, and I'm like, boys, we got a worker. Let's go. And so we all go sprinting out to the fire engine and jump in. I'm not even thinking about it. I'm just driving fast to get us there. And I know we've got a working fire. And so in my head, I'm doing all of the engineer checklist stuff. I've got to find a fire hydrant, figure out you know, how we can lay a supply hose from the hydrant to wherever I'm going to park on the engine. I'm right. going to position the fire engine so that we can tactically work off of it in the best way. I'm thinking about that stuff. And we're probably about five blocks away. And I look over at this firefighter that's sitting in the captain's seat and he's big old grin on his face. He's super excited. And it dawns on me that he has no idea that he's got to give the first arrival report on this giant working structure fire. Mm -hmm. And I look at him and I said, Hey, are you ready to give the size up on this? And all of a sudden you see it just hit and his face just washes out and he tenses up 
And he's like, oh, shoot. Like, <laughs> just dawns on him that it's going to be him. And he's locked, like, locked solid. And I turn the corner, and we've got about one block to go before we arrive. And you can see the pillar of smoke going up through the sky. We know we've got a, a working fire. Right as we turn that corner, our battalion chief, who ultimately on a fire scene, you want the battalion chief to run the fire and call those shots. He got on the radio and started giving that first arrival report because he was just down the street. Mm. And I watched my partner just relax into that seat, just melt into it like melted butter. Mm. Because all of the stress was off and all of a sudden he's like, okay, now we can just go to work. But Mm. that fire was probably the biggest fire that I ever pumped as an engineer. Mm. And talking to the water department after we pumped, between my engine, two trucks, and I think two other engines, we pumped almost a million gallons of water on that fire. Oh my goodness. How long did it take? I couldn't even tell you. If I had to guess, I, I bet we were 10 or 12 hours. I do know that we were worried about my engine specifically running out of fuel. Oh. We were trying to figure out how to get a fuel truck oh my goodness. to the, the scene to refill it Oh my goodness. with fuel. But we were there a long time. That's crazy. I bet it was probably six, five or 6 o'clock in the afternoon when the call came in. And it was wee hours of the morning before... Wow. Before we cleaned up, it was probably four or five o'clock in the morning before I cleaned up and got out of there. But you loved it. It was, it was awesome. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, gosh. I I tell everybody you have to love fire to fight it. Yeah. And and I think that's, for the most part, true through the industry. Most everybody there just loves fire. There's something about it that that it's not scary. Mm. Um, and, and, and it's just something that you got to deal with. Awesome. Yeah. Was there any medical calls that you went on that were crazy? Yeah, I mean, there's there's always some crazy ones, but honestly, the ones that I remember the most are are not like the crazy like wild calls. It it's the kind of the people. I remember this one lady that she was a, a regular that would call nine one one. That she she'd fall and couldn't get up. And she was this little old lady, and her name was Lucille. And if I remember right, she was probably 90, 91 years old. And she'd call 911 because she'd fallen and she can't get up. And we'd get there, and the house would always be locked up tight except for some random window. And it was never the same window. Mm. And we'd go around the house because we don't want to break what we don't have to. But we'd go around and find the window that we could jimmy open, and we'd yell in Say, Lucille, are you okay? She's like, yeah, I'm okay. I just can't get up. And so we crawl through the window mm-hmm. and we go in to pick her up. And she, like at two o'clock in the morning, this lady at 90 years old had the red lipstick and she had this like leopard print nightgown and she was done to the nines at all times. Mm-hmm. And I was just blown away. And, and she's just the sweetest old lady. Mm-hmm. And, and Cute. it was just awesome. And, and you know, people like that, that, it just becomes totally memorable. There was another one that I remember. It was another lift assist where this lady was in the shower and slipped and fell in the shower. And she was kind of wedged down in there and couldn't get up. And my partner and I got there and we were trying to be super sensitive of the situation. Nobody wants to be buck naked laying on the 
shower floor, mm. especially somebody of the opposite sex, right? Mm. She was probably 80 years old or mm. something. And we went in and we were trying to figure out how to lift her up and and kind of maintain some dignity because she had this hand towel. Not, not a big towel. Like I'm talking like a foot wide by 14 <laughs> inches long, like the size of a piece of paper, uh-huh. right? And she's holding it over herself trying to stay modest. Yeah. And we were like, okay, yep, we we could totally kind of get you up. What we need to do is kind of get here and here in position and try to figure out how to stand her up, which you can imagine somebody wedged into a bathtub is probably not the easiest way to get around. And we were just struggling, and she knew it, and we knew it, and we couldn't find a good way to get under her arms and pick her up because she's trying to maintain her modesty. And finally, she takes this hand towel and chucks it across the room and says, ah, to heck with modesty. Let's just get this done. And we're like, all right, let's go to work, you know? And so at that point, it was like, all right, pick her up, and and let's just, we'll get you a robe as soon as we get you on your feet and and go. And so, you know, I mean, it's, it's calls like that that, you know, you look back and you're like, yeah, those are the fun ones, mm. you know, that you look back and you laugh at. And, and it's not the scary, horrific, horrible ones that that you want to remember, right? Is there many scary, horrific, horrible ones? Is yeah. there, like, tons? Yeah. Yeah, really? there's plenty. And it's interesting because a lot of people will, will say, hey, tell me the, the grossest thing you've ever seen or, like, tell me the most horrible call you've ever been on. And, and it's interesting being in those environments and situations because we're quite honestly invited to the most intimate portions of people's lives. You've and seen death, a lot of death. Lot, yeah, yeah, and, and that's part of life is death. And, and I don't take it for granted, and, and I'm not frivolous about it, but I accept it as part of life. And sometimes it's tragic and traumatic, and other times it's, it's peaceful and families around, but a lot of times we get invited to those, and and I don't really share those stories with with the people who want to hear it, because it's it's honestly it's a really intimate and and private thing, and and to be honest, there's a lot of stories you know that I could tell that I just as soon forget. Yeah. But, and one day I'll I'll work through those and. And maybe I don't Is it because it's hard, because it's so tough that you don't want to remember it anymore? Kind of yeah. like that? Yeah, and, and sometimes you go on a call, and for me it was always the hardest calls were the ones that aligned with my family. Probably children. So, yeah. when Children would be really tough, yep, right? When you've got a kid that passed away and that kid is the same <sighs> yeah. gender and age as right. your own kid at home. Right. Then you can't help but see your own child right. in that situation. And those are some of the ones that have been the hardest for me. How do you handle that, Tove? Honestly, I think everyone's different. Right? Of course. But, but for me, I have a terrible memory, and I think it serves me for good. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't dwell on the negative of things. And, and it takes me a while to process some of those tough calls. Mm. But ultimately, you know, I kind of come to the understanding that, that it's, it's when it's your time, it's your time. And when, you know, when the Pachamama or Jah or God or whoever you believe in, mm. when they decide that it's your, your time to go home, then, then you don't have a whole lot of say in it. Mm. Um, I've seen 
horrific car accidents mm -hmm. where people should have been killed and they walk away with barely a scratch or maybe mm -hmm. a broken wrist or something mm -hmm. like that. Mm -hmm. And then I've seen fender benders in the parking lot where somebody's run into a street sign or chunk of concrete and for whatever reason they don't survive that. Mm. Right. And and there's no real rhyme or reason a lot of times. But for me, like I said, I I submit to a higher power and, and I believe that he knows best. Mm. And there's lessons to be learned for somebody along the way, whether it's me or others, I don't know. But there's there's definitely tough calls. And there's times where you see people taken before you think mm. they should be. Mm. So I did this PTSD course and it said that a lot of the, and you're not going to want, I didn't tell you I was going to, this is the, I'm going rogue on this. All right. And it said that. Off script, here uh, we go. Yeah, it's off script. This isn't. I, so I gave Topher, what I do for my peeps is I give them questions and I let them know what I'm going to be asking. And this, I did not talk to Topher about this. So. I'm okay with it. So, in the course it said that veterans, firefighters, police, military all of these people so what it is it's this kind of job it's like you're all racing in there you come into this stressful situation and you're a boss at it you know what I mean mm -hmm. which you obviously are you come in you handle the situation for whatever reason you have a talent to be able to do this yeah. and you're amazing at it yeah. and you do it and then you're not doing it anymore and so they're saying that the firefighter is the one that has the highest suicide rate out of all of them and for whatever reason because all of them seem to be stressful like marines army coast guard police firefighting like all of them seem to be fighting on any kind of war or anything but they say that firefighting is like I just said the highest suicide rate and it sounds like things can get pretty heavy and when you're on you're on and then when you're off so how do you handle, and this is, again, this is not a question yeah, that I went over with, with Topher. So how do you handle the heaviness, such heaviness, obviously constantly, it sounds like you've dealt with a lot of heaviness. Mm -hmm. How do you figure out how to balance out that pumped up stress and from your amygdala, you know, and then re relax from that and not get into this situation and be another statistic of a suicide because you just can't. Right. What's your, I mean, do you go to counseling? Do you talk it out? Do you like, yeah. what is it that you, that you've Thankfully, done to help you to work through? It, like I said, everybody's different. Of and, course. That's why I can't say what do firefighters right? do? I just, it, you but can just talk for you. I, I'm super lucky and the, the culture in our firehouse is that we talk about things. So mm. after a really rough call, we'll get everybody together. And sometimes it's just on the bumper of the ambulance uh, in the drive up of the hospital, mm. out in the hospital bay. Mm -hmm. And and we'll talk about it and, and just kind of go over what went well, what didn't go so well, if there's anything that anybody wished we had tried that we didn't mm. to make a better outcome. And, and even on the difficult scenes, you know, we'll ask each other and there's that open dialogue of, hey, I, we've tried everything that I can think of. Is there anybody that wants to try anything before we call it and, mm -hmm. and say this, this person's passed? Mm -hmm. and, and so having that open communication to me is super therapeutic 
because it's not like sit around and talk about your feelings and 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 different people see different things mm-hmm. and some of the worst we we call that a debrief mm-hmm. and the worst debriefs that I've been in is where you get together like a week later and everybody shares kind of their what they saw and I'm like I didn't even see that mm-hmm. and all of a sudden I'm like hearing all this stuff I'm like oh man mm-hmm. that's horrible mm-hmm. like I'm so glad I didn't see that, you know, and thankfully those are few and far between. But for the most part, we all get together and, and kind of just talk it out really quick. The best way that for me to process and get through it is with the support group of my crew, mm-hmm. right? As a captain, I was in charge of five guys and you go through a tough call and you all come back, sit down at the kitchen table and that firehouse table is where all of the coaching, counseling, everything, all the therapy happens. Mm-hmm. Because we're all in it together. And we all went through the exact same experience. And it sounds terrible, but oftentimes it's dark humor that we turn to. Right, and, right. And most people can't understand that and can't process that. But if we just sit there and weigh on the heaviness of it, We'll never get over it. Mm-hmm. But if you can stop for two seconds and crack a joke about it and move on, mm-hmm. then that's the therapy in and of itself is allowing yourself to move on. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it takes a terrible joke mm-hmm. to, to happen. And like I said, it's not irreverent, in my opinion, to the circumstance or the person individually, but that's just the way we process it. Yeah, which is super important to have you guys be healthy, Yeah, you know. Yep. mentally and obviously physically too. Yep. All right, I'm going to get back on track. How okay. does that sound? Right. Stop going rogue. You can do whatever you want. So you, oh, and I do, right? <laughs> <laughs> so you're an engineer, you're killing it, you're processing all of this with Natalie and your kids and you're like doing all of this and then you decide, I don't know if you decided, or but after a decade you become captain. Yeah. So why don't you tell us like, the difference between captain and engineer, your process in becoming a captain, because you were a captain for like eight years. So yeah. tell us that transition between engineer and captain. Yeah, I'm moving on in, in the marriage and having kids. All of a sudden I've got four kids and things are going really, really well and, and I'm mm. loving my, my job. But after 10 years, I started feeling like, like it was time to kind of branch out. I felt like I knew a not everything about my job. There's always something to learn. But I felt like I had a really, really good handle on that position as an engineer. Yeah. Sounds like and you have fun too with yeah, a good crew. had a great time. Absolutely great time. But I had a couple opportunities. I had one captain who he ended up getting sick. Oh, yeah. And I stepped in and filled that role while he was out, out sick. Mm. And he ended up having to, to take retirement, unfortunately passed away from cancer. Mm. And, and that was pretty tough. But filling in that role kind of gave me a taste of what that position was like. Mm. And I've always kind of felt like I, I had a natural leadership ability. Like I said, when I was building houses, I was running a framing crew. Mm-hmm. And when I went to the furniture shop in a short time, I was running the furniture shop. Mm-hmm. And so personnel management has always gone fairly well for me. Mm. I think even as an engineer, I was kind of a secondary leader, mm. right? And supporting my captain in, in his decisions. And Fell into it kind of naturally. Yeah. And and I had a really good time. And, and uh, you know, for me, again, 
with the promotion of captain came a little more money. And, yeah, and so I was, much needed. Yep, always, always needed. Yeah, passed all the tests. Passed all the tests. Did really I well. Qualified. I mean, I didn't. You weren't number one. I wasn't this number time. one this time. <laughs> no, I had some stiff competition. Way to be honest, Topher. Yeah, and, and honestly. It's probably a good thing because even testing, I didn't test number one. And, and at that that moment in time, I wasn't ready for it. Mm. But, you know, it, it kind of opened my eyes to what that testing process was and what the job was a little bit. Uh, but I just kept pushing forward and, and, and finally got the promotion to a captain. Great. And for me, promotion to the captain was pretty, pretty tough. I tell people that... Um, as an engineer, I feel like I had a shopping cart full of stuff and I was motoring down and things were great and I had everything in my shopping cart all organized. And then when I promoted to captain, it's almost like somebody took my shopping cart, spread out everything that I had in there and flipped it upside down, stole the wheels and then hid the wheels. Mm. And so I was starting all over mm. trying to figure out what this new job really was. Mm. And it took me a while to even find the wheels and put them back on mm. the cart and then start putting things back in the cart. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I was a captain for about eight years and... Now a captain, you're over five people, right? Yeah, so and is it still 24 hours on, 24 hours off, like in them four or Yeah, four so days? as a captain, I'm in charge of that fire station and everything about the fire station, including the people and what goes on in and out of the station. While and you're I'm on call, right? in charge of the calls. Yep, all of that stuff. and. Somewhere in the mix there, we changed our schedule. We, we kind of had a big vote to, to entertain the idea of another schedule. Okay. And we changed it to uh, 4896 is what we call it, where we work you like two that? days. And I have four days off. And it way is better. so much better. Wouldn't that be way better? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. It's, it's harder on families. Right. And it right. was harder on the firefighters who had Didn't spouses that work full time. Right. But for right. me, selfishly, it was so much better yeah. to, to just get in there for two yeah. days, knock it out, and then go home for four days. Yeah. And I can be a dad, yeah. be a better dad. Yeah. Yeah. So being a captain, it, it was different, totally different, because now all of a sudden, I'm responsible for the stupid things that my guys are doing. Problems are your problems. Yeah, exactly. Figure it out. And so the boss would come to me and be like, hey, your guys are screwing up. Why? What's going on? Or do you not have, like, yeah. control over the situation? Figure it out. What's going on? Yeah. Yeah. And and so that was kind of a learning curve where it was like, okay, now I'm I'm the boss. And when you live together at a fire station for two days, they quite literally become a second family. And so when you're the boss, it's just like being a mom. Mm -hmm. Like you want to be the good guy, but sometimes you have to be the bad guy. Yeah. And that's what being a captain is. Yeah. But I grew to love the position as a, of a captain. Yeah. Because for me, it turned into this game of what can I do to get my guys to grow? Yeah. What do they need to do or have to be better at their jobs and feel more comfortable and, and achieve everything that they want to achieve? Mm -hmm. And so as the boss, getting to know my guys and, and truly loving them and trying to provide some of that stuff for them was a fun, fun game for me. And that was probably the best part of it is, you know, I, I had one guy that he came to my crew 
And I was told that he had no idea how to do his job. And so they were sending (laughs) him to me so that I could fix him. And I absolutely love this guy. To this day, he's one of my my best friends, the best feelings ever. He showed up and I was like, okay, let's see what he doesn't know. And so we'd go out and train and train, train, train. Training is a huge part of the fire service. For a guy that hated school, it's crazy that that I'm in the fire service because I'm a basically a professional student mm. at this point. But we'd go out and train, and I he knew his job. He knew what to do. He wasn't screwing up. He wasn't doing stupid stuff. And so then it was trying to figure out, you know, what really was going on. And I learned that this kid just kind of had an ego problem. His ego would get in the way, but he didn't. He couldn't see it. He wasn't doing it on purpose. It's just kind of what happened. And so... You know, in this process, I I got to kind of shut everybody down and say, no, the guy's great. He's not screwing up. He knows his job, and I'll keep him forever and ever because I love him. Mm. And, and he does his job, and he does it well, mm. right? But then all of a sudden, he'd do something and get out of line. I'd be like, bro, when you do this, this is what happens, and it causes problems. And so if you check your ego and realize it's there's more going on here, then you're going to be wildly more successful. And and I had such good luck with that. And, mm. and he was really responsive to just some simple conversations mm. about what I was seeing that was causing him some problem. It To me, that's the reward where you see, as, as the boss, you see your guys grow and improve and become better. Yeah. I, I love it. Yeah. Absolutely love it. You said one guy just needed to know the schedule. He hated it yeah. when you came in and you were just like, we're doing this right now. He's like, what the? And so you found out he just needed a schedule. You told him the schedule. Great. So much better. You know, another yep. guy just needed some more praise, some more encouragement. And so you're like, oh, he's like amazing. He just is super down on himself because he doesn't think he's doing great. Just pump him up, tell him that he's freaking awesome when he's awesome, mm-hmm. fixed it. Yep. And so your job as a captain is to go through and to be able to see those things and, well, a good captain at least, yeah. to be able to see those things and do them. And the interesting thing in all of that is I didn't come into it with all of that knowledge. No. Each one of my guys, because I cared, each one of my guys taught me how to be a leader. Yeah. They taught me one more thing that I can add to being a better leader. And, it's like and how my children teach them, me how to be a parent. Yeah, exactly. Because how of else them, would I I'm know? a better leader. Like I thought, I thought I knew everything before I was a parent about parenting. Right. right. Like I thought, oh, you, you just got to do this. <laughs> then I became a and parent. Then, and the longer I'm a parent, Tove, yeah. the more I realize, the less I know. Right. The more I realize, well, you just need a chill. <laughs> you know, and our children teach us how to be better parents. Yeah. Your first kid shows up and you're like, I'm the best parent yeah. in the world. And then I'm, your I'm second crush shows this. up and you're like, oh, this has nothing to and do And then with they me. turn into teenagers and you realize you know nothing. Yep. And you just got to like do the best you can and yeah. forgive yourself and them. And they, they, and then they forgive get to the you. Where they're making their own decisions. Yes. And you just have to let it happen. Watch it. Yeah. So cool. Yeah, it is. It is humbling. Probably like being a captain of people, like just really, really humbling. Tell me the difference between what you have to do as a captain. So you show up to a fire or you show up to a medical or you show up to an accident or someone's house. 
What is your job now? Yeah, so no longer are you really running tools. So as a firefighter, you're holding the chainsaw, you're in the there. axe, you're the hose, you're in there doing it. Engineer, you kind of are too. Yeah, kind of. You, you get a touch tools. And, and as an engineer, you're kind of trying to foresee the next step in, in the in the the progression of the fire. And so you get tools off of the truck that you foresee they'll need next and okay. you start stockpiling that stuff on the front lawn, right? Captain, you're in charge of a radio and making sure you, that your guys are safe. Okay. And so you stand kind of, e either you lead from the front or lead from the back, right? Okay. So if you're pushing into a house fire, you could do either one, but maybe you lead, push in, work on finding the fire, Mm -hmm. and then coach your guys to make sure that they are, you know, they're seeing what you're seeing, and then you take a step back and just watch them go to work. Because as a, a firefighter, they're so focused on putting the fire out that maybe they don't see that the fire is overhead and starting to, to creep around behind you. As a captain, you're watching all that stuff. You're watching the ceiling, making sure that it, that it's not going to collapse on you. You're feeling the floor to make mm. sure that it, it's not going to collapse. You're, mm -hmm. you know, watching for other fires in other places. You're kind of keeping an eye on on guys in that area and making sure that they're safe because they're so hyper focused on their specific task. Typhoon, have you ever lost anyone in your team? No, thankfully. Okay. Um, we had one. We had we had a line of duty death a few years ago in the department. Okay. One of our chief level officers, and he died during a, a physical agility test, okay. unfortunately. Okay. And that was it was really hard on the department. Thankfully, we haven't ever lost anybody. That's wonderful. On the job. Doing, have doing you the ever job. been in a house or had a, and where a house has fallen on top of you, or there's been kind of like like a fire's gotten out of hand, and you've had to and someone's been hurt, or are you guys? Has it just been pretty, pretty darn good? So me personally, I've been in a couple of situations that were a little sketchy where the, the roof's starting to come in mm -hmm. and, and you're starting to get a little bit of collapse on the inside mm. just because the, the trusses are burned through and it's mm. starting to come down. Mm. This is off the rails too, by the way. Totally this off wasn't the rails, a, this yeah. wasn't a question too. I was uh, <laughs> Yeah, jeez, what is just this? for the record. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's happened a couple of times. Mm. Uh, we have had fires in the department where we've had a couple of guys get burned, not terribly. Uh -huh. But those are big eye-opening experiences where you're like, okay, let's pull back a little bit and see what's going on. For me personally, you know, I, I've been super blessed and lucky to right. where Nothing's none of my guys have, have been hurt seriously. Been a couple where... You know, you have a couple of close calls, Things but not sketchy. not to the point where I ever thought that I was going to die or that was right. like the end of it for me or any of my guys. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, Been very really, blessed. Really blessed, really lucky, but oh, um, you know, and and kind of touching Amazing. back on the medical part, one of my favorite parts, uh, most memorable uh, experiences as a captain was not very long ago. Okay, and. Medical, our medical and treatment, medical treatment has been getting better and better through the years. Yeah. And more aggressive. We're going to live to 100, Tofu. Yeah. What are we going to do? Go to Bolivia. Just, That's what we're going to yeah, do. I'm going to buy a beach house <laughs> and just be old and wrinkly. <laughs> I reckon. So, something. But we showed up 
and I had a great crew at the time, super sharp, every single one of them. Um, You've been a captain for a while. Been a captain for several years. Yeah. And as a captain, especially on a medical, I'd always come in kind of behind everybody else Mm -hmm. just so I can oversee and make sure, again, that they're in a safe environment. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And really, as a captain on a medical, I'm not touching the patient very often as far as the firefighters and engineers interventions. Yeah. It's the firefighters. We get called and it's a chest pain call where we've got an, oh, not super old. If I had to remember and guess maybe 70 year old male Mm -hmm. that he was having chest pain and he was upstairs in his bedroom and I went in the front door and shot up the stairs and the rest of my crew was already up there treating the patient. By the time I got upstairs and looked in the room, they were dragging him off the bed onto the floor because he had gone into cardiac arrest while oh, he was talking to him. Oh. And so my guys actually witnessed this, which if you can be there and witness it and start the interventions, then that just increases the odds of a positive outcome. Great. And so we went to work on this guy. It was just bizarre watching, you know, him as we would do chest compressions, he would become or alert again and try to talk to us. <laughs> and we do our two minutes of compressions and we'd stop to check and see if his heart had started back up on its own. And whenever we'd stop doing compressions, he'd literally die again. Oh my in, goodness, Typha. And, and so we just kept going and kept going. and That's and so odd. It, I mean, and yes and no. Yeah. Wow. But when you're right there, um, and ultimately the guy, he ended up going unresponsive. But we started seeing some positive feedback from his, his heart. And we're pumping him full of medications and mm. we're doing everything that we know how to help him. And we rushed into the hospital, got him to the cath lab. And, and I sent the ambulance pack in, and I stopped and realized that I hadn't talked to his family at all. Oh, no. And so I went back, and by this point, I'm totally out of breath from working and getting the guy down the stairs and getting him loaded and sending the ambulance off. So we sent in the ambulance, and I was in the fire engine, so, you know, there was no delay there. Mm. But that gave me a chance to go back and and I full on went back to to talk to his wife and and I said look he's you know he's not in a good way we're starting to see some positive feedback but he's definitely not out of the woods and and there's definitely cause to be concerned mm-hmm. and there's a chance that he might not make it you know I'm just trying to be 100% candid and honest with his wife so that she knew the gravity of the situation mm-hmm. And, and I remember just being totally out of breath and trying to be sympathetic and, and compassionate, but, but totally exhausted at the mm-hmm. same time. And, and on the way to the hospital, I was like, oh, man, I, I, hope, I hope I didn't come across, you know, wrong in, in what I said. I'm kind of replaying it in my head. And, and we got into the cath lab and we left the hospital not really knowing what the outcome was going to be. The next day we heard that he was still alive and was now in the ICU mm-hmm. in the hospital. And we were like, all right, we did our job. This is cool, you know. And it was probably a month later. His, he and his family showed up at the fire department with a bunch of muffins to say thank you. Yeah. And to me, like, those stories are few and far between where you see that much of a positive outcome where, you know, he knocks on the door a, a month later. 
And, and for me, that you know, that's the silver lining where you can have a positive effect on somebody's yeah. life, you know, not just him, but his whole family. Now, the that's community cool. rallies around you guys. Like, the community loves you. Like, you yeah. have people dropping cookies off to you, oh, yeah. people saying hi to you at the gym. The gym gives you free memberships. Like, you have people wanting to help out. Like, tell me, like, how amazingly in love with the Davis County community you are. This is going oh. off the rails, too, but yeah. they deserve a shout-out. Absolutely. Um, it, it's really amazing the the support, right? Uh, I've I've become friends with firefighters across the country, just in different classes and trainings and and events that I've participated. My brother in. still wears the t-shirt you gave him in New Zealand when he used to volunteer firefight. I love it. Yeah. I I still have his. I just don't wear it anymore because I don't <laughs> want to wear it out. One day I'm going to make a quilt or something with all my yeah, that'll cool be awesome. T-shirts. But uh, I mean, we'll have. Every couple of years, the mountain here catches on fire, and and we work our tails off to get the fire put out, and we protect homes as best we can. Unfortunately, there, sometimes we lose one or two, but but we try. We work really hard, and I think the community can see it. And yeah, inevitably they'll show up with gift baskets or, you know, a a thing of Gatorade, a flat of Gatorade or water or bread or whatever it may be. You know, colored notes from preschool kids or elementary Aww, school yeah. kids that are super fun to read. How fun is it we'll visiting hang them those up schools? Around the station yeah, and and it's super fun just to be, you know, a part of the community. And I think most of us in this we don't look at ourselves as heroes. And I think the community kind of puts us up on this pedestal. Me, I just want to be a good guy, and and I want to help people. And the fact that I get paid to help people, yeah, is is amazing. I, I can't believe I, I get to do it. But yeah, you know, it's pretty humbling when you step back and look at, at how highly regarded you are in, in the community just yeah. because of, of what you do. Yeah. The, the people in South Davis are absolutely awesome. Oh, Good people. It's just so lovely. I love it. So right now you're battalion chief. And yeah. battalion chief is a step up from captain. And you've been battalion chief since February of this year. So why decide to become battalion chief? You had a plan, and I know that eventually you wanted to become battalion chief, but it was kind of an opening, and yeah, you decided to. You know, I, I, I tested and, and promoted to battalion chief a little quicker than I thought I was going to. Mm. Well, but you're in hesitant too because battalion chief kind of took you out of that family situation in a yeah. way. And I don't think I realized it to the degree mm. when I did test and promote. And mm. I don't think it would have changed anything had I really known that. You know, the, the reason why I promoted is kind of twofold. One is selfish reasons. And for me, that was kind of the next step in my career. Yeah. And even though I loved being a captain and I was having a great time and, and I felt like I had my legs under me and I was doing good things. It was also kind of time for me to look at what the next step was. Yeah. And so, yeah, I pursued it. But at the same time, I looked at it as kind of an unselfish thing. And I, I thought, do I have skills and abilities that would benefit the guys in that position? And I felt like I had some strengths that I could bring into that battalion chief position to help a bigger group of people instead of having a direct effect on five people. Now, ultimately I'm in charge of 30. Yeah. And so, um, I'm still trying to figure out, you know, it's been about eight months since I promoted 
and more testing, right? So yeah. another big test, and then yeah. like three tests. Like it's three different. Yeah. So in the the testing battery consisted, and and this is pretty uniform. There's a written test, so you've got to be able to perform at a written level. Mm-hmm. And and the higher you go, you know, you're expected to be able to to function administratively. You've got to be able to yeah. to write emails or memos or you know, something in the newspaper or whatever it may be, and it's got to be intelligent. You know? So that's pretty important. That's me out. Uh-huh. Um, Drew would be great. Yeah. He, I should hire Drew. You should. He stuff. would be amazing. Yeah. Uh, so there's a written portion, and then there's a tactical portion where so much of what we do, it, it's it's low frequency. We don't fight fires every single day, but when you do, it's critical that you get it right. Yeah. And so there's a tactical portion to see how well you know the fire ground and and testing what decisions you make and why you make those decisions, what's the reasoning behind it. So that's a part of that tactical test. There's kind of an interview process where, you know, you sit down in front of a, a board of people and you have to answer questions. Do you have to be physically fit anymore as yeah. a battalion chief? Yep. Is there a physical test? So everyone in the department has to pass a physical agility test every year. Okay. And it's a punitive test, and and it's not terribly difficult. It's great if you're 20 years old, <laughs> but but when you're you're pushing 50, 55, 60, then it's a lot more difficult. More work. Yeah, and it's different with every department. Our department, you've got to run a mile and a half in. I don't know, something like 17 minutes, which again, for a 20-year-old, that's nothing. But when you're 55 and your knees and back are blown out, then it gets a little yeah. more difficult. Yeah. Especially if you're sitting at a desk yeah. all day and, yeah. you know. But I hit that gym. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> daily. Got to get yeah. it daily. Yeah. You know? yeah. You, you know, you've got to bench press 70% of your body weight, things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and there's a fire ground obstacle course. Mm-hmm that we can do a job simulation mm-hmm. and you've got to be able to pass all those things in order to keep, keep your job, which mm-hmm. I think is good. It's mm-hmm. good for the fire service. It's good that we keep help, mm-hmm. healthy people in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I don't want to be healthy just during my career. I want to be healthy and enjoy a long retirement when I'm Me done. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. That's imperative. So. What are some things that you've found being battalion chief like this last few months? That I had no idea what the job really was yeah. when I promoted to the yeah. job. So it it's good. It's just different. There are things that I could have foreseen, like managing the fire scene. The, the battalion chief's job is to overall manage the whole fire scene. You're and, in charge of five captains? Yep. Okay. And like I said, ultimately 30 people. So yeah. um, we had a car accident about a year ago. Um, well, not quite. I had just promoted mm-hmm. and brand new in the chair, and we got called on a car accident on the freeway. Mm-hmm. And it came in as like a five-car accident, and when I got there, it turned into 19 cars, including three semis, oh where my it was goodness, just black ice, black ice on an off-ramp. And, and there was, seriously, there were cars and people everywhere. Oh, my goodness. And showing up on that scene and realizing that the one ambulance and one engine that I had was not going to do it. Right. You know, it, it's my job not to treat the patients, but 
to order resources and make sure I have enough people, enough ambulances to treat the people that need treatment. And, and well, you know, if people need to be extricated, I need the equipment to extricate. And that just takes people and time and equipment. And so now for me, you know, that's my job is ordering resources, organizing it, assigning jobs and, and hopefully do it in, in a way that's productive and effective and efficient ultimately is the goal. Yeah. And I could foresee that. Um, Some of the stuff that I couldn't foresee and didn't expect is now I've become one of those guys. I'm one (laughs) of admin, you know, and I used to be able to just hang out with the guys and crack jokes. And now if I crack a joke, then somebody somewhere is going to take it as gospel and You'll get canceled. The chief said this, you know, and and yeah, I'll get canceled. And so I've learned that I've got to, you know, watch my words. That sucks. Better and and just mind what I say and and realize that I'm not part of that crew anymore. I'm not part of any crew. Mm -hmm. Instead, I oversee all of the crews. Are you going to be okay with that, Tiff? Yeah, I'll be good. It's going to be all right. Yeah. I still have good guys that keep me grounded. Yeah. Just like Natalie keeps me grounded at home, I've got a couple of really good guys on, on my platoon. That helps you feel that, yeah, good. Yeah. They they remind me when I'm being stupid, and mm. they tell me when I'm screwing things up, mm. and that's what I need. I need people that are not scared to tell me when I'm screwing things up because yeah. I don't I can't be better if I don't know that I'm yeah. screwing up. So yeah, that's thankfully, so true. Again, going back to the people around me make me who I am, Yeah, and, and I'm not who I am because of me per se, it's it's everybody, all the sport. That Let's I have. talk about those people. So you got a wife and you got four kids, two boys, two girls. How has yeah. this been on them? So it's interesting because I I knew this question was coming. We're not off. Script I am on, this on one. script. He knew. I told him to talk to Natalie and the kids. Yep. Tell me what they said. And I <laughs> I I thought that they would think I. I was surprised by by their answer. Let me just put it that way. Okay. So I asked the kids, um, a couple of them individually, and then I asked them all together. And I said, what's it like being, having me as a firefighter, as a dad? Yeah. And they said, well, we don't know any different. You know, for us, this is just life. And and I was like, yeah, that totally makes sense, you know. And one of the things that, that they said is, it's in a lot of ways like having a celebrity as your dad. Because... Um, there was one day where um, my 12-year-old son, he was walking up kind of a busy road going from the high school back to the junior high. And, and this field trip, they were all walking. And I happened to be driving by. And truth be told, I was kind of looking for him mm-hmm. and, and knew he was going to be in the area. And I had a, a minute and I was in the area too. So I drove up the road to see if I could see him. And when I did, I beeped on the siren and was like, yeah, hey, what's up, buddy? You know, Aww. And yelled and waved and just kept kept going. And he said, that was the coolest thing because then all of a sudden the whole class was like, what? Your dad's a firefighter? That's so cool. Aww. And so That's you know, awesome. it's super cool. And, and then, you know, the other thing they said is it makes them feel safer. Yeah. Which is pretty cool. And, and I, I feel safer when you're around. I don't know why. 
I love it. Yeah. Because I've go got to, your When pool. we used to go to the cabin and stuff, like, I loved that you were around. When kids fall out of, like, two-story windows yeah. and things like that. You'd give like, them a once-over and make around. sure they're good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it may have happened That's once. awesome. may have happened once or twice. Yeah, yeah. Not I, my kids. No, no. <laughs> and, you know, I may have fished a handful of kids out of swimming pools on, yeah. you know, random yeah. situations. You're a good person to have around. It's cool that your kids feel safe with you around. Yeah. That's awesome. And and I asked if if they felt like I missed a lot of stuff. And they said they said no. They you know, for for them they feel like I catch most things. Because with right. my schedule, forty eight hours on, if it's a ballet recital or a soccer game, there's a pretty good chance I'm not gonna be able to get there. Yeah. Because I'm kind of glued to a geographical area. And so it makes it really tough to, to get to all that stuff. But for me personally, years ago, I had a good friend that he, not a firefighter, but he was killed in, in a, a car accident on his, one of his kid's birthday. And that, at that point, like I could see how hard it was and how that affected her and her birthday celebrations for yeah, presumably the rest of her life, right? And so I decided that in that time, I said, you know what, I'm going to take my kids' birthdays off mm-hmm. of work. Mm-hmm. And so whenever I pick vacation days, that's always uh, kind of my number one priority is to make Great. sure I've got my kids' birthdays off. So I like it. I can be around and celebrate their birthdays, and that's kind of my way of trying to be a good dad sometimes yeah. And, yeah. and make sure I'm there for their special days. But yes, so it sounds like for them it's it's good. and. And that I'm there for a lot of things, even Great. though I'm not. I think for my wife, she says admittedly that she puts up with my work and my work schedule because I love it so much. For her, she's she's a part-time single mom. She is. And That's tough. It's super tough. I'm, I'm gone for a third of the time. And, and when I'm gone, I'm gone. Next right? on her. Yep. And it was a lot harder when we had babies. Oh, yeah. When the kids were little. Now, oh, my goodness. Now they can brush their own teeth. And yeah, they can, wipe their own butts, yep. allegedly. Uh, allegedly, yeah. <laughs> Rumor is. And it's easier, but like you said before, you know, now you're dealing with teenagers, and it's a whole different bag of worms, right? Yeah. But she's a rock star. and She is. And, you know, it takes a pretty strong and independent woman to be yeah. the wife of a firefighter it's yeah. it's not easy and yeah and dealing with the stresses I try really really hard to not bring work home and I kind of live two different lives so does the, that the help trauma, do you think I think so for me great there's been times where where Natalie feels kind of unincluded because right. she'll overhear me telling stories about calls to other people that I don't share with her but at the same time, you know, like I said, I try to keep those two worlds separate. And that's a maybe different that's, space for you yeah. in your heart as her and the kids. Yeah. And then maybe that's how I, I deal with it and cope with things because then my family, maybe I feel like they're not as vulnerable Yeah. if I don't include those two worlds yeah. together. Yeah. So, that makes sense. Yeah. But it's hard for her, but yeah. she's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She is. She was the one. Yeah. Nobody yeah. else could have dealt with me and my schedule. Right. Oof. Right. And and my children. Right. That poor woman. She's awesome. So you get into other stuff. 
you're obviously a more than just a framer, construction guy, husband, father, fireman, battalion chief. You also go to the Baja 1000 and help speak a little bit of Spanish. And if anyone needs, you know, their heart worked on, you can be there. And you love, love cars and you love that. And that's how you got to know us. Yep. was through mutual friends and you like to hunt yep. get meat and like do that kind of stuff so you also have because sometimes I worry about you this is off the script okay. like sometimes when they told me that I'm just like I don't Tofa needs to be okay but like you know how to relax yeah right like you know how to turn yourself off like sometimes like one time when i went and visited you you were listening to the radio and telling me all these codes of like what they were doing and like what the calls were and stuff and i'm like get off of that but you love it yeah but you can relax right because part of the problem is not being able to relax you know always being on and and i don't know that i relax i'm always on i just you have to tell me that you can relax or I'm going to worry. You can't relax. Focus. You're never on. Um, you're I always on. I just change on. my focus. So, like, you know, for example, I'm home and right. I have a day off and I've got a full day and it's like, okay, well, I can't just sit here and watch TV. Like, there's no. things that need to happen. Drew can't so, do that either. Yeah. And so I just, you know, get I don't busy. Do that I either. plant a garden or I tinker yeah. on the car or... You know, I, so you don't. What I'm saying is, you like, don't I'll always to the, have to be in a stressful situation. No, you know what to do. Yeah. To not. Yeah. You know that's not stressful. Yeah. Because your job is so stressful. It could be. But I'm like, lo- lo- it is. <laughs> it could be. You have to understand. It could that, be. That it's not my emergency, right? Yeah. And and I think yeah. that's the tricky thing with firefighters is, we process PTSD so much differently because we almost anticipate what we're getting into and we know what to expect and so we don't it's not traumatic for us most of the time i think there are definitely calls that catch you off guard because you're looking at it from the outside in as a professional yeah it's not my emergency somebody one day they said i watched the ambulance pull up in front of somebody's house and the guys just walked up to the door why weren't they running? And I was like, well, number one, our job is to bring some peace and serenity to the scene. And if we bring chaos, that's not going to help. Right. Right. And number two, we have an idea of what needs to happen to, to stabilize the situation. And so if we get spun up and worked up and it turns into our emergency, then who's going to solve the problems? It's a job. Yeah, it's a job. It's a job. Yeah. Tofa, what are your hopes for the future? Oh, I don't know. I hope my wife sticks with me. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's going to happen. Yeah, I, think, I think that's going to happen. What else? Be okay, so I'm always scheming. I, I'm interested in so many different things. You are. Um, I find hobbies and I go yep. full out. Like and many you're good at most of them. AD, ADHD people. Yeah. Tweak out <laughs> I on have some ADD I decide, yeah, children. Big time. I decide I'm going to be a fly fisherman, so I go all out, and I have all the fly fishing stuff, and I do that for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. And then I'm like, okay, I'm done, and I just stop doing that, and then I find something else. Mm-hmm. Chainsaws. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm chainsaws are the world. Yeah. Drew loves just, chainsaws yeah. too. So I'll I'll get bored with chainsaws pretty quick here. Will you though? Yeah. 
I mean, to a certain <laughs> level. <laughs> but, you know, for me, it's just continue to, to explore the world. Yeah. I think, number one, as far as my career goes, I need to just listen to my guys and figure out how I can best help them in my battalion chief position. Yeah. And as long as I feel like I'm still doing good in the service and still doing good in the department and helping people, then I'm just going to keep working. I love so it. So battalion chief probably is going to be it. Yeah, that's my. That's been my goal. Yeah. I don't aspire. There's um, two other positions above this level that I could go to. Once Mostly I'm, admin, though. Yeah, it's all You don't know admin. if you want to do that. Yep. It's 100% so we'll admin. So we'll see. And right now, I've, I'm young and my body works. And, you know, I love getting in there and being on scene and, and yeah. working hard. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Yeah. And so right now, this is my goal. And I would be totally stoked retiring with a 30-year career, retiring as a yeah. battalion chief. Right now, I'm, you know, in the full-time system, I'm almost 18 years in. So technically, in, in Utah standards, I could retire in just over two years, but there's no way. I love it. I love this job. Another 12 years, easy, Topher. Yeah. Then you'll be at 30. Yep. So we'll Then just you'll keep be going. able to do your other stuff. Keep working. Keep hanging out with the guys. How old will you be when you're in 12 years? You're 45, so 57? 57. It's pretty good, Tove, if you I can know. retire at 57. But then what am I going to do? Work at Costco? Whatever you want. Or just be retired? What do you want to do? I want to not pay a lot for health care. Okay. <laughs> and that's, I mean, that's Maybe the go trick. to admin? Maybe go to admin. For like the last maybe, seven, eight years? Maybe retire and go to, I don't know, Idaho or something as an entry-level firefighter and not have a care in the world. Just right? spray water. I know. You could maybe go around and do construction. No, I'm going to be too old for construction. Yeah. I'm already too old for construction. You'll ruin your body. So I'll probably just be we'll a We'll figure parts, it out. Yeah, I'll be a parts driver <laughs> for the local Toyota. I know. Maybe they'll give me a Toyota like, so hey, I can afford it. I love it. Jeeps as well. Can you hire me? No, I told you. <laughs> I've been indoctrinated. <laughs> I believe in Toyotas now. You can believe in both. Yeah. If listen, Drew's gonna punch me in the face. Of me, if I, I just, I'm gonna have to edit that part out. <laughs> I can't believe you said he can you love can't both. Say that. Pugs is gonna kill me. Yeah. I can't believe you said that. No, I, I don't know what my future holds. I, I just want to keep being a, a good chief and a good husband and a good right. dad. Right. Right. And, and I don't, I don't get too worried and mixed up about what the future holds. I just take it one day at a time and. I'm going to golf when I want to golf, and I'm going to... You're a golfer? Yeah. Come on, Typha. I golf. Here's, here's, here's the deal. Years ago, <laughs> years ago, I started golfing as a reason to hang out with my dad because my dad likes to golf. All right. And All right. I'll allow it. And, and my dad still likes to golf, and I like to hang out with my dad. And I've learned that the better I get, the more fun it is. Okay. And the only way to get better is to play more. And so that gives me a good excuse to hang out with my dad even more. Yeah, I like it. So, yeah, I'm a golfer, but I feel like my motives are are well-placed. Yeah, that's good. Well, Tofa, thanks so much. I appreciate this. Thanks for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. That's a little bit of my story. Yeah. It, it's yeah. nothing fancy. 
Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Thanks for everything. Yep. Okay. I'm super grateful that we're able to listen to Topher's story. I'm really glad that he was able to talk to us today about his journey from high school and wanting to be a dentist and realizing quickly that that's not what he wanted to do and walking us through what it took to become a firefighter, then an engineer, then a captain, and now a battalion chief and what that looked like in specifics. I had no idea. I learned so much from Tofa and I'm super grateful that he sat down and talked to us about the ins and outs of what that looks like for him and his family. I'm really good friends with his wife Natalie and although sometimes it's really hard being a single mum like what he talked about when he's in the firehouse she is just so strong and wonderful and I'm super grateful that I've gotten to know their family and that Tofa is around and that he's a friend and I feel safe with him around like I said because he pretty much knows how to rescue people and save them and he's got a lot of cool ideas. I just really love that he also is a whole lot of other things too. An amazing husband and a really cool father and that he gets into a bunch of other stuff. His skills that he got in high school are still with him today. And so I think that tells us that even if our job is one thing, that we should never stop trying to attain different talents and abilities so that we can continue to do more stuff. And as we, I, I was laughing as we were trying to figure out what he's going to do in retirement. He has a lot of options because he's just good at everything and hopefully they're more than just playing golf, even though I'm okay with him playing golf with his father. So thanks for being with us. I hope you enjoyed that story and I'm super grateful that we have people like Tofa out there that are willing to do the things that I could never do. All right, it's December right now and so I hope your December is going really well and that you're not super stressed and I look forward to talking to you real soon. All right, ka kite anō, aui